The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up. We welcome you to this service of ordered worship. The liturgy, music, and homily are offered in the praise of God for our gathered congregation here in Marsh Chapel, for our radio congregation across New England at WBUR 90.9 FM, and for our internet listenership now and later around the globe at WBUR.org. We welcome your prayerful and your material support, your written and emailed responses, your self-selections of forms of ministry in our midst. And as the Spirit moves, come Sunday, your presence with us here in worship. Today especially, we remember the beauty of Charles Wesley's poem, Unite the Pair So Long Disjoined, Knowledge and Vital Piety, Learning and Humility Combine in Truth and Love. Let all men see. This is the day the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. As we are able, may we stand in the praise of God.
may we pray. Give us grace, O Lord, to answer readily the call of our Savior Jesus Christ and proclaim to all people the good news of his salvation that we and the whole world may perceive the glory of his marvelous works who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, and you shall love the Lord our God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. We are called to live in love, but week by week we know we fall short. Sometimes we fall short. So we take a moment in personal confession as the choir sings our traditional Kyrie to recognize our calling in love and to confess that we have stumbled. And in prayer then, we lift ourselves up and dust ourselves off and face the future ready to try again next week. Let us pray. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and one who loves is born of God and knows God, for God is love. If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from Paul's first epistle to the Corinthians, chapter 12, verses 12 through 13. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me in reading verses from Psalm 19 with the Antiphon.
heavens are telling the glory of God, and the firmament proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night declares knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Yet their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In the heavens he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom from his wedding canopy, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and nothing is hid from its heat. Please rise as you are able for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of the Gospel. Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Luke, chapter 4, verses 14 through 21. Glory to you, O Lord. Then Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee, and a report about him spread through all the surrounding, surrounding country. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He, he enrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ.
please be seated. Today we hear from a prophetic text, Luke 4, regarding Jesus and his hometown community. And we hear it following a good week of good words about a good modern prophet, a patriot preacher, Martin Luther King, our Boston University alumnus. Now, as Ernest Fremont Tittle said, the preacher can always find something innocuous to talk about, but do not time and text today require some prophetic word for us and from us if we are to do justice to love kindness and to walk humbly, we shall then need to summon the courage to listen and speak with courage and to do so regarding not only the endless circle of concern around us, but also the smaller circle of influence which each one of us has, influence in the communities in which we dwell, on the streets in which we live, you will bear witness in your own setting, family, and community, and today I will bear witness within my own. Born a Methodist, ordained to the Methodist ministry, I will die a Methodist, a superannuated Methodist preacher. All of the lastingly good things of my life has, have come as gifts of grace in and through this very church. My name in baptism, my faith in confirmation, my community in Eucharist, my deepest friendship in marriage, my work in ordination, my daily pardon in prayer, and my shared hope with you of eternal life and hope in unction. I am a singing Methodist and will continue to greet life with an open-handed Methodist handshake. And my granddaughters, mother, grandmother, two great-grandmothers, and one great-great-grandmother, all married Methodist ministers, that is. I love my church, I love my church, and I am part of a multi-generational investment in its preaching ministry. That is, I pray to speak as one who speaks for my people, and so I hope has earned the right to speak to my people. If you speak for people, then over time you can speak to people. This is the gospel. God is for us, so God's word can speak to us. I love the Methodist church. Any church, though, is human. Very human, as Tillich wrote long ago, the church is always both a representation and a distortion of the divine. And this past 12 months has proven that again. Some background. Methodism lives on four levels or through four forms of conference. A conference, incidentally, let us remember it, is meant to be a time and place in which to confer with one another each of the four has one discrete, specific task. Our general conference, a thousand global delegates gathered once every four years, is responsible solely to write and rewrite the Book of Discipline, our church law. 
The jurisdictional conferences split up regionally across the country, meet every four years to elect general superintendents, our bishops whose job is solely to fix appointments. The annual conference, a smaller gathering of representatives from hundreds of churches in each jurisdiction, nationally and around the globe, has the sole job of recruiting and retaining ministers and ordaining them every year. And our charge conference, that's our local church, is in the work of making disciples, people of faith who love and give in the spirit of Jesus, people like you. Disciple, minister, bishop, discipline. These are the products of our conferences. Last year, our general conference met in Tampa in late April and early May. Rather than affirming the full humanity of gay people and granting the 10% of children who are gay all the graces I have happily received, just mentioned a moment ago, the conference wrote a discipline that excludes them from marriage and ordination. We have learned, have we not, the horrific habits in this country of finding ways to fractionalize the marginalized, to identify some as three-fifths human. It's in our history. It has been a heavy lifting over decades to affirm gradually that all people, all people, are imbued with integrity by the grace of God, former slaves, women, the poor, people of color, the stranger, the otherwise abled all, integers, not fractions. The United States Constitution before amendment accounted some as three-fifths human. No wonder that that great Boston abolitionist William Lloyd Garrison called the document then a compact with the devil and a covenant with hell. I wonder what he would say about our 2012 General Conference and discipline. But I also must ask in reflective discernment, where did Tampa come from? Some of Tampa, our General Conference, came from the results of the other conferences over many years. Some of it came from our jurisdictional conferences. In July, our jurisdictional conferences met in five cities across the country to elect general superintendents. In some cases, they were chosen on the basis of proven ability, leadership experience, measures of churches grown or people rescued, or dollars raised, or buildings constructed. Ministers from strong churches and significant pulpits who had shown the ability to speak well to large groups and to lead complex organizations and to raise money. But in some cases, elections were based not on ability or proven strength, but on representation to show a rainbow of representative general superintendents apart from preparation or capacity to do the job and ironically, even tragically in consequence, whether or not their tenure would have any positive impact for underrepresented others. The gospel is about redemption, not representation. The gospel is about redemption, not representation. Now, as I have, I will continue to speak for and so to the inclusion of all at every level of church life. That is part 
of the redemptive work of the Spirit in the church. But in what other walk of life do we select significant leadership on a narrowly representative basis? Dentists? Pilots? Surgeons? And what good will it do to open up the church, especially for those most in need of such openness, if the church itself shrinks, ages, weakens, and dies for lack of building up? Our jurisdiction has offloaded 60% of its membership since my confirmation at age 13 in 1968. And the chief reason for that is poor leadership starting at the top. It is not somehow God's will that this church that we love should shrink, age, weaken, and die. That is not God's fault. That is our fault, a consequence of poor leadership, moribund preaching, mediocre pastoral care, and unimaginative congregational life. Some of Tampa also came from our annual conferences. My own annual conference, a new and unformed body across New York State met in June. Two overarching issues should have been engaged because they affect dramatically the present and future quality of the clergy, the job of the annual conference. But other than my own few questions posed in the few minutes still allowed at annual conference for conference, that is, a time to confer, no one addressed them. The first is the proposal supported, let it be starkly recalled by every Northeastern bishop to eliminate the security of appointment or guaranteed appointment, a modest form of tenure for ordained clergy. Ordained clergy have four years of college, three years of seminary, three years of supervised work, all before ordination, who earn a modest annual salary plus housing, who agree to move potentially every year at the direction or whim of the general superintendent and cabinet, who are responsible to raise apportionment dollars equivalent to 25% of their church budgets, and who will work if they are to be effective 60 hours a week, 48 weeks a year for 40 years. And we can't even tell them that they somehow in whatever tiny rural parish or other will at least be able to feed, house, and care for their children? The second is related. Unwilling to invest in elders, the superintendents are driven to hire non-elders, people who are not fully trained, educated, ordained, not in covenant, not traveling elders. In our yet-to-be-fully-born conference, this means that 540 of 931 pulpits are occupied, occupied by good-hearted people but people who have not studied the Bible in depth, who do not know the history or teaching of the church, have had no preparation in counseling, sacramental understanding, worship and preaching, administration and pastoral care. Now, friends, it's one thing to have laity Sunday once a year, but every Sunday? Do you go on a Wednesday when the emergency room lets people who would like to be doctors administer drugs, set bones, and use CT scanners? Do you go on Friday when people who would like to be bankers get to open and close the vault, establish accounts, and make investments of your savings? How about housing? Do you sign up aspiring carpenters who think they might have some talent in digging foundations and setting roof lines to build your house? 
Is it okay with you if the principal of your daughter's junior high school never graduated from high school himself? Granted. Education alone is not enough. Granted. Education alone is not enough. Heart and head, we need to gather in the influential, delicate, personal, salvific work of pastoral care and preaching. Uh, not 540, but 40, 40 non-elders is all we should accommodate in my newly born conference. Have the elder, elders preach multiple times. Better one good sermon preached seven times than seven bad ones once each. Our annual conference provides everything but the one thing needful, a chance to confer. Our annual conference attends to everything except its job, providing excellent clergy. And Tampa, some of it came from our local charge conferences. I went for worship this summer to a beloved church in 1995. This was a vibrant congregation, 230 in worship and two services, a seven-day full building, the second strongest salary in the conference, a warm formal worship service, not unlike ours at Marsh, and most proudly a fine parsonage. What did we find that Sunday? We found a worship service that is hardly a worship service, at least to my mind, with 60 present, and learned that the church was in the process of selling the parsonage. They need the money and lack the vision to hold on to it. And worship? I grieve to ask, is it worship when the minister robes the sanctuary, ceiling paint peeling, by the way, with a microphone like Phil Donahue? Is it worship when beautiful four-part hymn harmonies are ditched in favor of follow the bouncing ball screen pseudo-music? Is it worship when the sermon is a potpourri of miscellanea unrelated to text, setting, mission, or soul? Is it worship without a choir, without order, without reverence, without silence, without offering, without a sense of presence? No. It has become a hodgepodge of vain attempts to be entertaining, which are not even entertaining. An enchantment? Enchantment? Gone, baby, gone. People do not need the church to be their rotary club, their neighborhood cookout, or their reality TV show. They need the word of God rightly preached, the sacraments duly administered, and service rendered to the poor, and they are hungry and thirsty for those who will bring such. And when this happens, Sunday by Sunday, then churches invariably grow. You cannot preach without theology, and you cannot worship without preaching. And in short, the General Conference in Tampa had wellsprings of sorts in jurisdictional, annual, and charge conferences. So... What are we in my beloved church to do in 2013? After the summer, I determined to spend six months in prayer and visitation. By phone or in person, I spoke with 31 trusted friends. I meditated on their counsel and came to only four fairly meager conclusions, and today is reporting day for you. One, we need steady, ongoing conversation, conference among elders and others. Two, we need to follow the money. Three, we need pastoral care.
for gay people. Four, we need to focus on pastoral embrace for lay people, particularly for those who don't yet have one favorite hymn, don't know a psalm, can't recite the Lord's Prayer, and haven't had the first helping of faith when so many of us are on our seventh course. Now it must be stated, and some are present here today and listening, many young elders have already left the church I love for orders elsewhere. Many middle-aged elders are ready to split the church. Many older elders are using covert, hidden means to address the situation. I will not leave, split, or dissemble. So that means finding another path. And I will have to go deeper. So four thoughts. One, there is something in this journey that now I realize will call me out and down further into faith. How thankful I am for the words of the psalmist. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. I guess for six months I prayed, and I guess after six months I heard, Robert, you will have to go down deeper. Two, one part of the path into the future is in regard to ministry, but the other part regards money. In a way, the first part is easier. That is, most churches over time can come close to doing what we do regularly here at Marsh Chapel already. We marry gay people, hire gay clergy, minister directly to the gay community, and speak frankly, as today, about the full humanity of gay sisters and brothers. That's the first part. The second part is harder, about money. We will need means to keep from sending money by apportionment to fund the dehumanization of gay people, whether in America or in Africa. Fortunately, our general funds are several, not single, and local church treasurers at the direction of the lay vote in the charge conference can send to some and not to others. This will take careful planning and endless meetings. But my own investment will continue to be to lift my voice and to continue in eight words that from this pulpit you have heard before, gay people are people and lay people are people. That is third, gay people are people, not, not three-fifths human, but at least five-fifths human, endowed by their creator and ours with life, liberty, and happiness. They deserve to enjoy these two, including ordination and marriage. Jesus can teach us about this if we will let him. Remember he said to consider the lilies of the field, and how much God loves even these floral creatures in God's garden. Gay identity is creation, not fall. Creation, not fall. God's gift, not human sin, as is straight identity. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God and thy neighbor as thyself. Try to imagine what it must be like to be a nine-year-old who knows he is in the sexual minority. Will you please? Paul can teach us this if we will listen to him. Paul? Yes, Paul. He places the pinnacle of the good news at Galatians 3.28. In Christ, 
There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, no male and female, and we quickly add, neither gay nor straight. The gospel is about redemption, not about tradition. The gospel is about redemption, not about tradition. Gospel finally and ever trumps tradition. Gay people have integrity, are beloved by God's grace, just as all are and all do. John, the gospel, can help us if we will read what he says. He says there will be another advocate, even a spirit of truth, which will lead us, lead us out into further truth, which is not in John's gospel or even in the Bible. That is, there is a self-correcting spirit of truth loose in the universe. That's good news. Truth involves continuity with past teaching, but also discontinuity through new insight by the gift of the spirit of truth. Friends, our failure regarding gay people is theological. Our doctrine of creation could use a recollection of Jesus. Our doctrine of redemption could use a rereading of Galatians. Our doctrine of the spirit could use the voice of John. Gay people are people, the Bible tells me so. But this is not only an issue of justice, as important as that is, or of clerical integrity, as important as that is, or even of theology, as important as that is. It is most profoundly an issue of pastoral care. This is an issue of pastoral care, first, last, and always. The physician has responsibilities to many institutions, her practice, her board examinations, her hospital, and her community. But in the end, all these and others are eclipsed by the care for the patient, the health of the patient. The pastor also has many responsibilities to institutions, call them conferences, charge annual jurisdictional general. But in the end, all of these are eclipsed by the requisite care for the parishioner, for the eight and nine-year-old children who are in the minority, gay people are people. Fourth, lay people are people, beloved, beloved. It will do us no good only to open up the church. We also have a responsibility to build up the church. The needs, longings, reports, and voices of our lay people count matter last and have meaning. The church exists for mission as fire for burning, fishing and planting, evangelism and stewardship. These are the very joys of faith. This is the fun in faith. Lay people deserve and desire enchanting worship. 60 minutes of fire and love every Sunday. We will want to draw on the deep well of tradition, not traditionalism, but tradition. We need to listen to our lay people. Over time, they have told us they have no need particularly for bongo drums or shallow hymns or neglected liturgy or bad music. What do they want? Fire and love in excellence, and they deserve it. Every church deserves so. Traditional worship is what we owe them. 
Likewise, lay people deserve loving, intelligent, devoted, competent pastoral ministry and preaching. We once knew this so deeply we needed no, no reminder at all. We lived it. Give us excellent ministers, educated and ordained, the brightest and the best. Lay people deserve the best that money can provide and the best exemplary teaching about money we can provide too here. That is, if nothing else, the Wesleyan tradition provides stellar disciplines about giving. Our, need, our people need to be taught by example from the clergy about generosity, about tithing, about disciplined giving. Well-led, they will and do well follow. I give you these paths, tradition and worship, traveling elders in the pulpit, tithing all day long. I cannot begin to tell you how much difference these three currently neglected features of spiritual life make when they are practiced and especially when they are practiced together. So, beloved, let us open up the Methodist Church by living the gospel, gay people are people, let us build up the Methodist Church by living the gospel. Lay people are people. I will plan to slog ahead. I will find means to advocate for the disciplinary inclusion of all, like the ministry we have here at Marsh. I will gather a group at some point for further conference. I will find ways to encourage the real leadership of the church to be identified and selected for leadership, as we are doing here and I will find words to convey my ongoing respect for the noble calling, the challenging adventure that is gospel ministry in my conference and here and elsewhere. I will continue with others to grow the churches of the church, to remember by precept and example the work of Harry Denman, and to appeal to all who have received, now I'm speaking directly to you, all who have received seven helpings of faith already, once in a while to think of inviting a neighbor to come with you who has not had the first course of the religious meal. Meet me at Marsh at two minutes of 11. And I take heart from voices I overheard this past week. Good voices, good words. Walter Fluker, we may need some fresh water to swim in. Melvin Talbert, all that is necessary for evil to triumph is for good people to do nothing. Sonia Chang Diaz, when you pray, move your feet. Elizabeth Warren, when the president makes his solemn vow, I will make my own silent one in the heart. Barack Obama, freedom is not just for the lucky nor happiness for the few. From Seneca Falls to Selma to Stonewall, our journey is not complete. We must act knowing that our work will be imperfect. And the Reverend Luis Leon, que Dios os bendiga, so that one day, as was said of old, it may be said, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing.
we come now to our time of communal prayer, we invite you to pray, sitting, standing, or coming to the rail as you feel led. Join us now in our call to prayer. God of creation, God who has given us the gifts of the earth and all of its inhabitants, we confess that we have not treated these gifts as of sacred worth, especially our fellow persons, representing the diversity of race, ethnicity, gender, ability, and orientation. Redeeming God, we pray today for the strength to do the heavy lifting required of us to work towards full inclusion of all your children in the beloved community, your church. We pray for the courage to act in biblical obedience, striving to cease the dehumanization of our sisters and brothers, striving for a world in which neighbor loves neighbor. We pray this morning that we, your church, may be bridge builders and peacemakers, lights in this world for all those who have not yet sat at your table. Whatever has kept them from the table, O God, we pray that we who have received seven helpings of faith may be empowered to share your meal, your grace, your love. Sustaining God, as we prepare ourselves to do your work in the world, we pray that you fill us with your spirit and sustain us for the journey. We pray for the prophets, teachers, preachers, and leaders in the church that they may continue to serve in their roles faithfully, diligently, energetically, and boldly. We pray for the laity of the church, that they may continue to be faithful servants of the word and continue to enact their own roles of leadership as prophets in the world and the hands and the feet of the church in the community. And God, we pray especially this morning for those in our community, university, and congregation who are facing times of trial, who are facing illness, disease, loneliness, and hardship. We ask that you be with them, walking with them and comforting them. We ask that you be with all of us as we too, lay and clergy, minister with and to their needs. And now, as your children, O oh God, we seek to embody these words which Jesus has taught us as we pray together, our Father, who art in heaven, 
hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. The peace of the Lord be always with you. We greet you once again here in the nave of Marsh Chapel this Sunday morning, and we hope you will take a moment to participate in our ritual of friendship by uh, passing the red books found along the center aisle of each pew down your row and putting your name and contact information therein so that we can get to know you better and help you get to know one another better throughout the coming week. Here for a special announcement from our music department, our director of music at Marsh Chapel, Dr. Scott Allen Jarrett. Good morning. Today begins our six-week journey with the music of Benjamin Britten. You have uh, in your bulletin a postcard looking sort of like this, which details uh, the concerts and performances of music of Britain that uh, will be part of our experience over the next six weeks, both in worship and in concert. We hope that uh, we'll see you not only here on Sunday morning, but also for these particular concerts, including this coming Saturday night, February 2nd at 8 o'clock, Nick Pond uh, Tenor will sing the uh, famous song cycles by Britain, the Serenade and the Nocturne. Um, the Thurman Choir resumes its rehearsals directly after worship today, and the Thurman Choir will also conclude our Britain Festival on Sunday morning, March 3rd, in singing of the Jubilate Deo. So we'll begin rehearsing at 12.30. We'll see you downstairs. Thank you very much. Thank you, Scott. As we continue together in our journey of discipleship here at Marsh Chapel, we hope that you will walk with us. Uh, that may involve coming downstairs following the service for coffee hour, staying for the Thurman Choir at 12.30, joining the vocational discernment group at 1 p.m., or coming to the servant team meeting tonight at 6. It may mean tomorrow evening joining us for community dinner at 6 p.m. downstairs in the Marsh Room, joining us on Tuesdays from lunch, for lunch from 12 to 1, and Wednesdays from evening, for evening prayer at 5.15 p.m. here in the nave, on Thursdays for silence practice at noon, or common ground communion at 12.20, it may mean that uh, next Sunday you come a little bit early before the service to 
join in the study group downstairs studying religious literacy at 945 or to join the Reverend Holly Benzenhafer Redford up here for uh, contemplative prayer practice. There are many opportunities for discipleship here at Marsh Chapel. All of these and many more are available in our term book. If you have not received one already, we hope you will pick one up on your way out this morning. As the ushers wait upon us for the offertory, we hope that you will meditate on the words of Benjamin Britten's setting of the Te Deum in the key of C major. Now walk in love as Christ loves us, an offering and sacrifice to God.
Gracious creator, you give in such abundance. We thank you that you created us all uniquely with different gifts for our neighbors and for your service. We pray that you might guide us as we offer up our time, energy, creativity, and resources so that we might somehow transform the world to your vision for it. And please, God, cure us of the illusion that they were ever really ours to begin with. We ask these things in the name of your son, Jesus, whose gift of life restores all things. Amen. There may be some of you who richly enjoy silence. At 10.30 on Sunday mornings, I'll invite her to come forward. The Reverend Holly Benson-Haber Revert is here with me and a few others. We simply sit and pray. Should you like to join us at 10.30, please be welcome. Holly will know your name or get to know your name and provide resources as needed. As the sounds and the silences of this time and space, this community resonate within and among us, we prepare to scatter into the sounds and silences of our unique lives and relationships. And so as you go, go embodying the image of your God into the times and spaces the routines of your life. Go bearing the call of Christ into your communities to heal suffering, to nurture justice, and to respond with compassion. And go as Spirit's breath, infusing blessing, life, and love. Amen. 